0: In 1815, during the Battle of Waterloo, news was flashed by signal then, lights, flash, uh, flashes. It said, "Wellington defeated." And just, just as these words were received, a thick fog blanketed London. They had read, "Wellington defeated." the British Gen- General Wellington was fighting against Napoleon at that time at Waterloo. So after a number of hours, however, the fog lifted and the message was completed. Wellington defeated the enemy. The British General Wellington had defeated Napoleon and his army. But can you imagine how the people felt when the first part of that message was received. You might hear things like, is it possible? Is it possible? What do we do now? People crying, no doubt. Sadness everywhere. Perhaps people wanting to run away. But then the rest of the message came and sorrow turned to joy. You can you and I can look back at what happened at the cross, knowing what happened after. But the disciples see the disciples only saw the cross. They only had the first part of the message. The Lord Jesus Christ had died and they were sad. Oh how sad they must have been. No doubt some were crying. And you know, someone may have wanted to run away. But Easter morning came. Easter morning came with the rest of the message. Christ died and is risen from the dead. Risen again, victorious over death and the grave. The Lord Jesus Christ had defeated the enemy, Satan. It was certainly wonderful news that was received in the second part of the message to London that day. But oh, how greater a, and by far a more victorious message the disciples and you and I have received when Christ rose again from the dead.
1: Something for us to think about.
0: I'd like you to turn to Deuteronomy this morning, the book of Deuteronomy, chapter 6. Deuteronomy chapter 6, and I'm going to read from verses 1 to 9. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1. Now these are the commandments, the statutes, and the judgments, which the Lord your God commanded to teach you, that ye might do them in the land whither ye go to possess it. That thou mightest fear the Lord thy God to keep all his statutes and his commandments, which I command thee, thou and thy son, and thy son's son, all the days of thy life, and that thy days may be prolonged. Hear, therefore, O Israel, And observe to do it, that it may be well with thee, and that ye may increase mightily as the Lord God of thy fathers has promised thee in the land that flows with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest in the way, and when thou liest down, and when thy, thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them for a sign upon thine hand, and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of thy house,
1: and on the gates. Let's pray together.
0: Our Heavenly Father, we come again into your presence on this another Lord's Day. What a privilege it is for us to gather, for you have said that when we gather together in your name, you will be present with us, and oh, how we thank you and praise you for that fact, that you are with us. O oh Lord, help us, we pray, as we look into your word, that we might learn from it, that we might hear it, that we might learn from it, that we might hide it in our hearts to obey it, to apply it. Oh, how we need your guidance, oh, Lord. We pray for each one, bowed in your presence here and on online as well. For, O God, you know the needs of each one and you are able to meet each need in accordance to your will, in accordance to your time. Help us, we pray, to humble ourselves before you, to be patient and look unto you. We thank you for such great salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ, one who loved us and gave himself for us. We realize, O oh Lord, that we as a church family and friends have many needs here. We seek your guidance concerning a pastor. Oh, that you would direct us to that one, we pray, the one man of your choosing for your work here. We think of those who are laid aside in sickness. We pray for them. That you would have your loving arms around them to encourage them. For these are difficult times for many. O oh Lord, for those who mourn the loss of loved ones, how we pray that you would be their strength as well. As we think of our missionaries, we rejoice with the curvets, especially for Ryan who has completed his uh, language course, the Spanish course. Acceptable now that he is able to go out to the mission field that you would choose for him, for them, he and his wife and the family. We rejoice as well that Dr. Paramanandam has received the funds that were sent. so long awaited, Lord, he has now received the funds. But oh, how he longs to be able to get back to the work, but there are another two months to go before the doctor would allow him to take up again the work that he had been doing. Pray for others who are there that they might be able to, Lord, help out in the ministry. Lord, again, we just thank you and praise you for this time we can have together. Bless this time to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Well, good morning, everyone. Good to see you here this morning. And again, we welcome those who are on Zoom. What can we learn about God from the book of Deuteronomy? This book, last book of what we know as the Pentateuch, or the books of the law, was written About 1400 BC, the fifth book of the Bible, that is in the Old Testament,
1: the book of Deuteronomy,
0: speaks to the Israelites just before they were to be led into the promised land. So that sets the setting there. It's interesting to note, however, that the Lord Jesus quoted from the book of Deuteronomy when he was tempted by the devil in the desert. Three times he quoted, saying, It is written that man shall not live by bread alone. Deuteronomy 8, verse 3. It is written, Thou shalt worship thy God, and him only shalt thou worship. Deuteronomy 6, verse 13. And, It is said, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God, Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. But what was Moses' desire for his beloved people, God's people, in the writing of this book? Well, again, let's pray and ask the Lord to help us. Heavenly Father, we seek your guidance this morning again as we look into this book As we look into your word, oh, help us, we pray, to get a greater understanding of it. And in getting a greater understanding of your word, we get a greater understanding of who you are
1: and what you have done for us. We ask
0: in Jesus' name. Amen. In chapter 6, verse 5 of Deuteronomy, we read again, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, and with all thy soul, and with all thy strength, or thy might. We need to remember this verse. I say it's a very important verse throughout today's message. Verse 6 says, And these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. Verse 7 adds, and thou shalt teach these diligently unto thy children. So we see that Moses certainly leaves no room for wavering when considering their relationship to God. Look again at verse 5 of chapter 6. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul, and with all thy might. Another T-verse, perhaps. 800 years later, in wanting to describe good king Josiah in Second Kings 23, verse 25, what verse does the author, uh, author use? We read that there was no king before him, that turned to the Lord with all his heart, and with all his soul, and with all his might, according to all the law of Moses. The author of the Book of Kings used the words of Deuteronomy six, verse five, to describe Josiah. Fourteen hundred or so years later, we hear these words again, quoted by the Lord Jesus in Matthew chapter twenty-two. Verse 37, when he answered one of the Pharisees who was tempting or testing him, said, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind. We read the same in the book of Mark, chapter 12, verse 29 and 30, where Mark adds in answer to which is the first commandment of all, Jesus responds, The first of all commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind, and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. The New Testament, book of Luke, chapter 10, verse 27 when a certain lawyer, remember, trying to trick the Lord Jesus, asks, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus asks, what is written in the law? How readest thou? Or what has your reading taught you? And again, the man quoted the same verse from the book of Deuteronomy, chapter five, chapter six, rather, verse five. This command is originally in the Torah, or the Pentateuch, the books of the law, the books of Moses, the five books of the Bible. It is in Book 5, Deuteronomy. These five books were the only written scripture that many Old Testament people had. You and I are so blessed to have the whole scripture the study about God. The Old Testament book looks forward to the coming Messiah. The New Testament shows the Lord Jesus Christ as the perfect fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecies. From Genesis to Revelation, we learn about God and his wonderful plan of of salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus, the Old Testament, Old Testament points to him and the New Testament reveals him. But what if we had lived in the time of Moses or Joshua or even David? What if we had only Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy? What would we know about the qualities, the characteristics, the attributes of God whom we are to love and serve. Near the end of his life, probably the last two months, Moses wrote the book of Deuteronomy to provide the guidelines for God's covenant people, the Israelites, as they were about to enter the promised land. What did Moses teach about God? Scripture enlightens us regarding the lives of some well-known individuals. You might think of Joseph, for example. But what about Moses? What do we know about this individual? I think, well, Moses, the lad who had been preserved from death as a result of his parents' actions. He was found in the river by Pharaoh's daughter, As a result, we know that he spent 40 years in Pharaoh's court, learning, discipline, getting an Egyptian education, and that by highly qualified teachers. We know that he spent 40 years as a result of his own actions, passing from the splendor of the Egyptian court to the greater splendor of the wilderness mountains of God but let's not pity him there. These were great years for him until God revealed himself and his plan to him. The burning bush, remember? The voice divine, the holy calling, and the great commission. Then 40 more years he spent in the wilderness, no longer alone with sheep, but with men and women who were more difficult to deal with than sheep undisciplined, as they came out of slavery in Egypt. I'd like to take a few messages to look at the book of Deuteronomy with the express purpose of seeing what God revealed about himself as early as the time of Moses. What can we learn about this God whom we are to love with all our hearts, souls, and might? We'll attempt to work our way through the book of Deuteronomy. However, it will not be so much a study of the book as a study of what Moses wrote about the God whom he served. And as we look at each characteristic of God that Moses introduces, we will also see that other writers of the Old Testament and later the New Testament had read the book of Deuteronomy. Writer after writer was led by the Spirit to quote Moses and build on what he had written. The attributes of God that Moses loved to mention become clearer as Scripture unfolds. I hope that we will gain a greater appreciation of our wonderful God as we contemplate who he is. Moses starts by Rehearsing or recounting what God has done for his people in spite of their complaints and their rebellion. When they first reached the promised land, they refused to enter because of the report of the ten spies. Remember? Giants and fenced cities. Twelve men went to spy on Canaan. Ten were bad and two were good. What did they do when they, spied, they came to, uh, spied on Canaan? Ten were bad and two were good. Some saw the giants great and tall. Some saw the grapes in clusters fall. Some saw the God who made them all. Ten were bad and two were good. There's no extra cost for that. That's... The two referring to Caleb and Joshua there. But look how Moses described the God whom they refused to obey. Look at Deuteronomy 1. Turn back a little bit to verses 30 to
1: 33.
0: Deuteronomy 1, verse 30. I'll read to verse 33. The Lord your God which goes before you, he shall fight for you according to all that he did for you in Egypt before your eyes. And in the wilderness where thou hast seen how that the Lord thy God bare thee as a man doth bear his son in all the way that ye went until ye came into this place. Yet in this thing ye did not believe the Lord your God who went in the way before you to search you out a place, to pitch your tents in, in fire by night, to show you by what way we should go, and in a cloud by day. I'll use the word gracious as our first characteristic or attribute of God described in these verses. Look at verse 30. The God who went ahead of them, the God who fights for them. Then in verse 31, the God who carried them as a father carried his son. And verse 33, the God who found suitable places to put up their tents, the God who led them in a cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night. In Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 3, Moses repeated that this God went before them. God graciously cared for his people all through their 40-year journey. The prophet Isaiah picks up this thought of God carrying his children in Isaiah chapter 46, verses 3 and 4, using the term, Born by me, and even to gray hairs will I carry you, even I will carry and deliver you. And again in Isaiah 63, verse 9, the last part of that verse, he carried them all the days of old. It's also seen in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11. He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs in his arm. And carry them in his bosom, and shall gently lead those that are with young. I like that picture. You've seen that picture, haven't you? Some people have it on the wall where the Lord Jesus is holding a little lamb. That's me. That's me in that picture. You didn't know that, eh? It can be you too, but I look at it and I see me. God carries his children. God feeds his children. God cares for his children. Of course, we see these same qualities in the Lord Jesus Christ in the New Testament. When we look ahead at John 10, verse 11, you will recall when he says of himself, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Here we see the good shepherd who in John 10 Verse 3 leads his sheep, and in verse 4, he goes before or ahead of them. Yes, the Lord Jesus has his sheep in his hand in verse 28 of John 10. They are secure in the hand of the Lord Jesus and in his Father's hand. Ephesians 2 verse 8 shows us that salvation itself, is a result of a gracious hand as well. For by grace are ye saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. As we continue through Scripture, this picture of God becomes clearer, but it is there in Deuteronomy. The gracious God leads, carries, Fights for his people now as he did in Deuteronomy. And the gracious God provides salvation through the Lord Jesus Christ. Looking further at the characteristic of God as described by Moses in the book of Deuteronomy, we're going to note that these same attributes of God are found in the rest of the Old Testament and in the New Testament, because God is the author of all Scripture. Of course, some of these qualities will be more clearly shown as God makes himself known. But let's continue to see what God showed Moses. So not only is God gracious, our second characteristic of God is found in Deuteronomy three verse twenty four God is powerful. O Lord God, thou hast begun to show thy servant thy greatness, and thy might hand, thy mighty hand, for what God is there in heaven or in earth that can do according to thy works and according to thy might? Notice that Moses records that God has begun to show his greatness. Really here would probably be better to say, O Lord, thou hast only begun to show thy greatness and thy mighty hand. He is powerful. That's our second attribute. Moses adds that God is superior in his works and in his might. In the very next verse of chapter 3, verse 25, Moses describes how he begged God to let him enter the promised land. But God said, no. No, you may only go to the top of Mount Pisgah, the mountainous section of Moab, and have a look at the land. See, Moses had witnessed God's miraculous working of the plagues in Egypt. So go back there in your mind. What might be some other miracles that you remember this morning as these Israelites left Egypt? What are some things that come to your mind, some of these great miracles? Anyone? The manna.
1: What else? Making the bitter water sweet, indeed. The clothes didn't wear out, yes. We'll deal with that a little bit later, too. What else? Water from the rock? Think about water, what happened? The Red Sea
0: opened right up. Things like that were happening. But Moses recognized that this was only the beginning. The powerful God had only begun to show his greatness. And Sometimes you think of that, people, where's your memory? As you think of these people, but they could say the same to us at times. Later in Deuteronomy 32, verse 39, Moses recognizes God as the one who has power over life and death, saying, See now that I, even I, am he, and there is no God with me. I kill and I make alive. I wound and I heal. Neither is there any that can deliver out of my hand. God is powerful. Surely, Other scripture writers have continued to write about this characteristic of God. David says in Psalm 62, verse 11, That power belongeth unto God. King Nebuchadnezzar said in Daniel 4, verse 35, And all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? The psalmist reminds us in Psalm 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord were the heavens made, and all the hosts of them by the breath of his mouth. And in verse 9 of the same chapter, He spake. And it was done.
1: God is powerful.
0: What does the New Testament teach us about the powerful God? His power was openly displayed when God became man and dwelt among us. To the leper, the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 8, verse 3, I will be thou clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. To the dead he said in John 11.43 Lazarus come forth and he that was dead came forth. To the man who had a legion of demons in Mark chapter 5 verse 8 Jesus said come out and they obeyed. The stormy sea and the winds obeyed his command as well. God is powerful but we'll let The Apostle Paul have the final word about the powerful God in his doxology in Ephesians 3, verse 20 and 21. Now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages World without end. Amen. We've seen that the God of the book of Deuteronomy is gracious and powerful. Our third characteristic of God is found in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 7. God is personal. God is personal. For what nation is there so great who has God so nigh or near unto them as the Lord our God is in all things that we call upon him for? Deuteronomy 2, verse 7, the last part of that verse. These forty years the Lord thy God has been with thee. Thou hast lacked nothing Moses reminded the people how how personal God was to them. He was near them. He knew all of their exact needs. He knew them so well that they lacked nothing. And we're talking for 40 years here. Deuteronomy 8, verse 4. And Joanne, this is what you were referring to. We are told that their clothes didn't wear out and their feet didn't swell. You know, <clears throat> home, I have jeans and work trousers that I wear the knees out of often. The patches go on and I wear that out too. And I get holes in my, my jeans Sometimes I say, I'm going to get something to, you know, through to get something. And uh, Iris looks at me and says, no, you're not. Not dressed like that. He doesn't care if it's fashionable to have holes in your knees, <laughs> their jeans. I think, yeah, 40 years. Their clothes didn't wear up And then I think to myself, and their feet didn't swell. Some of us at the end of the day have feet that are, you know, you feel, oh my word. But for 40 years. That's very personal, isn't it? Pretty personal needs that God took care of. That reminds me of David in Psalm 23, verse 1. Right? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. In connection with our personal God's interest in his children, we might be reminded of Paul's words in the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verse 19. And you remember, but my God shall supply all your need according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. That's a wonderful verse, isn't it? It could have said, but my God shall supply all your need and stop there but so that you don't think that there'll be a want. It says, according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. God's warehouse is never empty. God is able to meet our every need.
1: One more verse in the New Testament. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Those are a lot of verses. Sorry
0: for that. You have to go back and forth. <clears throat> this is in verse, uh, verse 8, rather, of chapter nine, Second Corinthians 9, verse 8. The verse that follows God loveth a cheerful giver. It says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye always have all sufficiency in all things may abound to every good work. Did you notice all the alls Isn't it isn't it wonderful to be reminded that we have a personal god
1: He knows all about us all about our
0: needs So far we've heard that our powerful god is gracious too and personally interested in his people. That's us. Our fourth attribute of God is found in Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 31. We read there, For the Lord thy God is a merciful God. He will not forsake thee, neither destroy thee, nor forget the covenant, the promise of thy father's which he swear unto them. We've certainly heard about this attribute in the last two Sundays. First it was Pastor Steve uh, Hamburger, and then last week it was Mark Stevenson in his message. God is merciful. Having all power without mercy would be sad. But this verse assures us that as a merciful God, He does not forsake his people or destroy them or forget his covenant with or promise to them. The attribute of God being merciful is frequently mentioned in the rest of Scripture. David often referred to God as plenteous in mercy. And in Psalm 103, God's mercy is great. Verse 11 there. And from everlasting to everlasting, in verse 17 of Psalm 103 again. We remember Micah. Micah's well-known words in Micah 7, verse 18, that God delighteth in mercy. This theme continues in the New Testament as we think of our but God verse in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4. But God, who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. And in Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 16, urges us to come boldly unto the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jeremiah, in the book of Lamentations, chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, We read there, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. New every morning. Great is thy faithfulness, O God, O Lord. Great is thy faithfulness.
1: We could have sung that one too, couldn't we? What
0: did Moses and the Israelites know about the character of God by the time Deuteronomy was written. They knew, as you and I know, that God is gracious, God is powerful, God is a personal God, and God is merciful. And that is just the beginning. There
1: are many more attributes to consider.
0: You and I have all of God's Word. It doesn't take us long to discover that we are all sinners as we read Scripture. Sin entered the world by Adam and Eve, and you and I are born in sin. We read that there is none righteous, no, not one, and that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. However, there is good news There is good news. We read that God demonstrated his love to us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He died that you and I might have life and that life is eternal. To be
1: forever with the Lord. Of
0: course, John 3.16 wonderful verse for God. Let's say it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. On the New England coastline, a number of years ago, a ship was wrecked in one of the many storms that lash that area. A large crowd gathered on shore to help with the rescue. Small lifeboats were launched into the raging surf, and soon they began coming back to shore with survivors. One of the rescuers shouted over the noise of the storm to the captain of the wrecked vessel, "'Was everybody rescued?' The captain replied, everybody but one. There was one man out there that we just couldn't wait for. He had fallen off the ship and it was ready to go down. The last time we saw him, he was holding on to some of the wreckage. John Holden said to the captain, let's go back and find him. But standing next to John Holden was his mother. And she said, John, have you forgotten that your father went down four years ago and was drowned, and that your brother Will went down out to sea months ago, and we haven't seen him since? John, you are all that I have left. I beg you, John, not to go out there to look for that man. John replied, Mother, I must. There is a man out there who needs saving." and the captain got into the flimsy rowboat and didn't look good the storm was still raging as the mother watched her son john and the captain make their way out into the ocean she turned aside to weep with a broken heart convinced that her last loved one was also to be lost several hours passed with the anxious crowd Still assembled in the rain and the wind, they huddled together in quietness, knowing the gravity of the moment. The mother still wept, and others attempted to comfort her. Some just stood. Finally, someone spotted that little lifeboat making its way back to shore. The cry went out, Did you find the man? John Holden stood up, shouted back from the little boat, bobbing on the waves. Yes, we found him. Tell mother
1: that man is will. Her own son found on the sea that day.
0: What a reunion was had by all. What if John had not gone back for the lost man?
1: Aren't you glad that, like John
0: Holden, Jesus Christ is still seeking after the lost? And aren't you glad that, like John's mother, his father let him come to rescue the perishing?
1: The Philippian jailer
0: asked Paul and Silas, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And their answer... Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. you may be asking the same question today. The answer remains the same. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved. Acts 16, verse 31. It's simple, yet so wonderful to forever be in the arms of the one who loved us and gave himself for us. May you do so today as you hear God's word. Come to him. Come to him as you are believing, confessing that you are just a poor sinner, asking for forgiveness, and he will save you. This God whom Moses described as gracious, powerful, personal, and merciful, is the one who gave his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ,
1: to die for your sins and mine.
0: Amen. Read them, please.
1: Let Jesus come into
0: your heart. Number 559. Five, Father, we do thank you for your great goodness and love toward us and to remind us that you are gracious, you are powerful, you are personal, and you are merciful. But above all, that you love us. Oh, we praise you and thank you for such love. We ask that you would go with us now Part us with your blessing. May we be found faithful, looking unto Jesus. We pray this in his precious name. Amen.